This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Years of economic pain justified by the exotic present of leaving the European Union. That sound you can hear is every Lib Dem in the land screaming, you only had one job, Vince. This is the Times Red Box Politics podcast with me, Matt Jolly, in Brighton for the Lib Dem conference where Vince Cable has had an absolute nightmare. In extracts, pre-briefed to journalists for his speech, he was supposed to take on the Tory Brexiteers, accusing them of thinking that years of economic pain were justified by the erotic spasm of leaving the European Union. Instead, those two words which made all the headlines on the morning of his speech, he fluffed them, he talked about an exotic sprism. There is a disagreement about how you spell that, but there is total agreement that this just about put the lid on a pretty hopeless few days on the South Coast. This is a man who appears so inept he couldn't even resign properly. A couple of weeks ago, he suggested he was going to uh, stand down and open up the party for anyone to be leader and then spent the whole weekend talking about how he wasn't setting a timetable and there was a lot of road ahead of him. Well, in this week's episode, I'll be talking to Matthew Paris, who 30 years ago joined The Times as the sketch writer, heading to Blackpool for the Lib Dem conference that year, and he has been going to Lib Dem conferences ever since. I've also been out and about in Brighton asking anyone if they want to be Lib Dem leader. But first, I assembled a stellar panel to discuss how the conference had played out. I was joined by Polly McKenzie, former chief policy advisor in Number 10 for the Lib Dems, joined the coalition and now the head of the Demos think tank. Vanessa Pyne was a special advisor to Vince Cable and Joe Swinson and now runs Atlas Partners. And Henry Zeffman is the Times political correspondent who also writes the brilliant Times Brexit briefing email. On the subject of emails, Redbox, the morning email that I get up at five o'clock every morning to write, is now available exclusively to Times subscribers. Sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Redbox. Let's just quickly pick over some of the big themes. Are there any big themes? Is there anything to take away from it? Let's start with you, Henry. What's You've been here through, through the weeks we've been trapped in Brighton looking for news stories. What are the big themes? What, what, is, what for you are the takeaway of Lib Dem Conference? To me, the big theme seems to be despondency. Uh, despondency about the future of the Liberal Democrats. Despondency about Vince Cable's slow-burning resignation. Who knows whether it will ever take effect. Certainly doesn't seem to seem likely to take effect in time for the Liberal Democrats to become a movement of the moderates. 
I think the real question that has been presented, uh, not just to journalists, but to Liberal Democrat members at this conference is, how on earth is this party ever going to get back on its feet? Certainly, it doesn't feel like last year when there was a bit of optimism a few months after Vince Cable had become leader. Now, I think there's just despair. Despair, is that a fair word, Polly? What's been your... We we feel like we've been promised the imminent survival of the Lib Dem fight back (laughs) ever since tuition fees saw the Lib Dem poll weightings go down to sort of single figures in nothing. No changing the leader, younger leader, older leader, not big in government, opposing Brexit. Nothing seems to have had the impact that some might have hoped. No, it's it's a really difficult thing for, for the Lib Dems and it's difficult for people like me who worked during the coalition years and are sort of implicated, therefore, in the sort of reputational damage that was done to a party that is incredibly dear to our hearts. But there's been this debate, this conference, between uh, lots of people, including Joe Swinson, who've sort of said, oh, we kind of got things wrong during the coalition years. I mean, it, that's true. Uh, but on the other side, Nick Clegg, who was asked sort of whether he was consumed by regret about the coalition, who came out with a, a very robust defence of the decisions that were made in 2010. Of course, it, he has admitted mistakes, but, but that fundamental question, should we have gone into government at a time of national crisis? Should we have created a strong and stable government? Should we have acted to stem the kind of fiscal calamity that that faced us with a budget deficit of 11 or 12 percent. You know, I'm with Nick Clegg. I think that the party should have done that. And if you think what Ed Miliband did in, is it 2010, 2011, trashing the Labour Party's reputation and what they'd achieved in government, for me, it's madness for the Liberal Democrats to just be sort of spending this time doing a big mea culpa about the fact that austerity is tough. Of course it's tough. It's just less tough than the alternative, which is a complete government collapse. We've seen since 2015 that the coalition was a fantastically strong, coherent and capable government in comparison with what's come next. I think if the Lib Dems could be a bit more positive about the past, they wouldn't feel quite so gloomy about the future. Isn't there a risk that they are making a mistake even talking about the past, going on about decisions that were made eight years ago? In that time, (laughs) we've had several referendums. You know, we've had the Scottish independence referendum, the EU referendum. We've had a new prime minister, a dramatic shift in the... Labour Party still squabbling over the rights and wrongs of the way to have sold the tuition fees policy or or particular bits of welfare reform. It, it feels like the party needs to get over that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the fact that we're talking about the past is proof of a kind of a guilt that I think is ill-advised. The governments that have come post-2015 have cut, I believe, more than is necessary. So it's weird that austerity in 2010 and austerity 2015 to 2018... The Liberal Democrats were involved in part of that. They don't need to feel guilty about the current government cuts. That's not the Liberal Democrats' fault. So it's weird. I I think we need to kind of reimagine liberalism at this stage and think, I think, much more imaginatively about reaching out beyond the party. I mean, Vince, I think, will talk about that in his speech and be more kind of uh, far-reaching and optimistic and not not so gloomy. Hmm. I'm not sure it's an accurate praise of what Jo said to say that she was saying she should apologise for all of the coalition government either. I think... What she was saying was, if we want to own the successes of the coalition, we also need to recognise that there were some failings and that those failings still play out today in terms of where people find themselves in their communities, what the problems are, and the fact that we have to address, we have to have a good answer to those problems if we are to move forward. And we can't do that without understanding that austerity did have an impact and it meant people who we are in politics to defend felt left behind. So let's move on. Let's talk about your old, your other old box. You used to work for Joe Swinson, but let's talk about Vince Cable. What is he doing, Vanessa? What is the plan? (laughs) 
so a couple of weeks ago, you were on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when we were looking ahead to the speech where we were on various reforms of the party. And it seemed, it seems to me, if he'd done that at conference, it would have been quite a big moment. And people have thought, OK, maybe there is something going on here. And instead, he spent the whole of conference sort of denying that he's going anywhere. And then we also need to talk about erotic spasm. <laughs> what is it? I have it? no interest in discussing your erotic spasm. <laughs> well, it's the only thing that's got him in the papers ahead of his speech, is saying he's going to talk about the Brexiteers' erotic spasm of leaving the EU. What What is he doing? What is the plan? Is there a plan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are two things. One is... It's important to recognise that it's rare in a politician to have some vision for the party beyond yourself. And I actually think he deserves credit for having some thought about what comes afterwards and what the party needs to do to reinvent itself. I think the timing of those things, I would totally agree, is what we call in the trade a fuck up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But that is probably not down to him really either. Henry, do you think when we leave Brighton, and look back on the conference. I mean, they all sort of slightly blur into one uh, anyway, but has this made any difference? I mean, for the smaller party, it's normally quite a good shop window. You get you get a bit of coverage. You've got a load of journalists here trying to justify their hotel bills and whatever. Has anything happened? Is that, have they? Do you feel like they've done to have taken advantage of that this week? No, what I thought was really peculiar was, was Monday, which is very possibly you know, the day when the Liberal Democrats are going to get the, the most coverage, you know, start of the week, people actually engaging. Uh, with what's going on down here in Brighton. And, and the keynote speaker was Gina Miller, the anti-Brexit campaigner, although she resists But that don't say label. she wants to stop Brexit. And she opened her big speech to the Liberal Democrat Conference Hall by talking about all the reasons she not only doesn't want to lead the Lib Dems, but doesn't even want to join them. I thought it was utterly peculiar. She then came and did a briefing with journalists uh, at the Liberal Democrat Conference, organised by Liberal Democrat press officers, and spoke at great length about why she wasn't interested in joining the Liberal Democrats or any political party. And I get why she might have ended up there as a sort of sign of the broader movement that Vince Cable wants the Liberal Democrats to be part of. But once you sort of allow yourself to be subordinated to a, a rich person's vanity cause, there's kind of the question of what on earth is your platform as actually the third national party? I thought it was strange and I thought it spoke to the sort of paucity of actual ideas emanating from the Liberal Democrat party itself. And also the paucity of alternative leaders. I mean, the, the Vince Cable throwing the door open is to anyone who isn't an MP is slightly an indication of the lack of other people. And the, there isn't a Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg equivalent, who sets the Thank fringe God. alight. Or, but just someone who the members love and go to all the fringes and want, you know, hang on their words. Not their politics, but their... Well, their the fringe field. event with Nick Clegg was very well attended yesterday, although he is quite clear that he doesn't want to be a Liberal Democrat leader again. But, you know, Do you, you think could be persuaded, to... Polly? Like Arthur, the once and future king. Um, <laughs> he's certainly the best prime minister the country will never have. I think he's a, a fa- he was a fantastic leader for all of his faults and, and, the, and the coalition's faults because he had a, an intellectual sense of what uh, liberalism was about and what the role the Liberal Democrats could play in, in trying to kind of uh, widen the discourse about opportunity and freedom in our society. Um, and I, th- I think what Henry says is interesting because though what wins elections is leaflets and phone calls and all sorts of stuff that I'm terrible at. <laughs> How are you a Lib Dem? That's oh like, God, a, like an Olympic sport. Canvassing just totally freaks me out. Um, <laughs> but actually, the ideas have to come first. And, and I think what we're waiting for 
for the Liberal Democrats, for liberalism, is, is actually a rethinking of what does this look like in this era of fast and accelerating change. Mm-hmm. And until those big ideas about how you restructure the economy in a way that can kind of actually bring, bring out what is kind of right and just and fair about the kind of populist reaction against, let's call it neoliberalism for kind of shorthand, until you can do that and take that leap, I, I really don't think any party can change our structural kind of uh, just horror of our politics at the moment. Just very quickly, um, do we think the Lib Dems should stop banging on about Brexit? I definitely think the Lib Dems should stop banging on about Brexit, but that's not a popular view. I mean, the difference between last year and this year is that the berets are multiplying. The berets are blue berets with yellow stars knitted into them. Yes. And they and, are everywhere. Yeah, and Brexit is catnip for, for Lib Dems. And I think, you know, to talk about the... Um, the sort of wider campaigning, who can we share a platform with, that it's not weird for people outside of the Westminster village to think, well, there are problems in my community and I will work with people who I agree with about that problem. Uh, so I don't think the idea of working with other people outside of the party who with whom you share views is terribly controversial, but I do think that the party potentially faces a future crisis of identity about whether it becomes the party of return, you know, <laughs> And, and Which was a slightly horrifying prospect yeah, when reverse, somebody told me they wanted to do that. A reverse UKIP, and and that I that that that's not what you know. It's broader than that. It's bigger than that. It's it's much more capable of answering the problems of society than that. But it, there's a danger that in the moment of maximum opportunity that Brexit presents from a kind of tactical bringing people to the cause perspective that we slightly forget about the longer term, wider answer that Lib Dems have to, to more day-to-day problems. I also, I also think Vince Cable is much better equipped to answer that kind of question than he is to campaign on Brexit. Apart from anything else, I'm not convinced his heart is actually in the anti-Brexit campaign. I mean, don't get me wrong, obviously he thinks Brexit is bad and would like for it to be reversed. But in 2016, when he wasn't an MP, uh, he said that the Liberal Democrats shouldn't be pushing for a second referendum. He clearly has been persuaded, I think rightly, of the short-term tactical gains of the Liberal Democrats becoming the anti-Brexit party. But actually, if you look at Vince Cable's credentials as a business secretary for five years, as the man who predicted you know, eight of the last three recessions or whatever the joke is, <laughs> um, he, is he is someone well, well equipped to address the sort of broader structural economic challenges facing the UK, and he's just been bogged down and erotic spasm is actually a great example of this. He's got so bogged down in Brexit, which he's not well equipped to do, that he's sort of producing strange half thought through quips rather than doing what he as a grown up is actually suited to doing. Okay, so when we reconvene in 12 months time uh, for next year's uh, Lib Dem conference, who do we think is going to be the leader? You, Matt. <laughs> well, like Gina Miller, I am <laughs> not putting myself forward. But you'd come up remember. with better jokes than Vince, at least. Well, that is true. In his strange, um, yeah, erotic spasm, whatever sort of computer algorithm just generated that <laughs> combination of adjective and noun, I just don't really What we need to do is, is invent a time machine to take us back to that moment where Vince won kind of notoriety and popularity by saying that Gordon Brown had gone from Stalin to Mr Bean because that taught Vince that the way to be politically successful was to make a witty quip yeah. and he's been trying to reach those dizzy heights <laughs> ever since and he do you know what he's not a stand-up he's comedian it's not what politics is about and he should move on to uh, trying to intellectually rebuild liberalism okay good attempt to try and avoid the question who's going to be the leader this time next year 
I mean, I think it's a good thing that there are quite a lot of healthy options. Um, I, I, I understand what you say about the reform motion being taken as implicit criticism that the um, of the 12 MPs who could hold the job that none of them are good enough. Actually, I think quite a lot of people are quite excited about the prospect of a move to a new generation and that there are quite a lot of talented people in the parliamentary party, some of whom are also young and female, um, which is, uh, you know, a nice contrast um, that we might not be having this conversation this time next year. I mean, frankly, it's 200 days to Brexit and it's inter incredibly fashionable for political parties to turn in on themselves and rather than addressing the big issues of the day to be having a massive punch up over leadership or anti-Semitism. And I think that's a look that the Lib Dems could well avoid. So, Henry, I'll try with you. This time next year, who's going to be leader of the Liberal Democrats? Vince Cable. Good. Well, that's made this all a complete and utter waste of time. Um, <laughs> uh, my thanks to Polly, to Henry and to Vanessa. Uh, coming up next, I've been speaking to Matthew Paris. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. So I'm joined now by Matthew Paris, who is celebrating, if that's the right word, 30 years of being on The Times um, by coming to Brighton for the Lib Dem Conference, which was your first job when you joined The Times as sketchwriter. It was September... 1988 and I had been hired as the new sketch writer and up I came in this case to Blackpool uh, for the Lib Dem conference and I, I, I wrote a sketch I think it was quite good uh, because there was quite a lot to write about but the following day there wasn't anything to write about so I didn't write a sketch I wasn't a professional journalist like you Matt and um at about six o'clock in the evening there was a desperate call from the sub-editors saying where's your sketch and I said there wasn't anything to write about and they, they said it doesn't matter whether there's anything to write about there's a hole in the page um, I don't think I've ever failed to deliver since then what, what did you do about how to fill that hole I, I wrote something you very quickly, quickly. Something. oh yes yes, yes. And, and does it make any difference when you're sketch writing the speed does having too long just make it more complicated sometimes it's better just to go for it the most important thing is to have an idea. Yeah. If you've got a strong idea, then you can do it in 25 minutes if you have to. It might be a little better if you give yourself a couple of hours. I had a very strong idea for that first Lib Dem conference because they were having a huge debate about what to call themselves. 
So you can always write a good sketch about a party <laughs> trying to debate its own names. And it does strike me that this conference, they're having a huge debate about how to define their own membership. So and, no progress. And also sort of whether whether or not they should even exist. Should there be another yeah. party altogether? Who should be the yes. leader of that? All It just feels like they're... So, so I suppose we should maybe look back over 30 years of the Lib Dems and wonder sort of what the, the point of all that was. You know, from... What, what have you made of it since 1988 coming up to today? Well, they had 22 MPs in 1988, and is it 12 now? 12 now, 12, yeah. yes. So, I won't embarrass you by trying to name them all. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had a couple of peaks and troughs since then. The, the party hasn't changed an awful lot. They are still the nicest people in British politics, <laughs> and their conferences are the nicest conferences. They're, they're all absolutely lovely people. They're all a little bit, not all, but a lot of them are slightly unworldly. They love navel-gazing, so to discuss their own name is, is an ideal thing for a Lib Dem conference because everyone is passionately involved and no one outside notices anyway. Seem, that struck me this week. They seem to have had a lot of discussion about what they should be saying about the coalition. And should they be owning all of it? Or should they be you know, discussing the bad bits of it? Nick Clegg says he disagrees with Joe Swinson. You think, this was three years ago. This was, you know, they still haven't overcome what seems still to have been quite a traumatic period for them being in government, even though you'd think that was the point of a political party. Well, people like me who are conservatives can't understand how anybody could find the pursuit of actual power agonising in, in any way. That's what politics is for, we, we think. But I think the Lib Dems found it very, very difficult. And I think, that, as you say, they're still struggling about it. The immediate feeling after the coalition ended was that, that, that they had perhaps made a mistake either by being in the coalition or by, once in the coalition, not being completely wholehearted about it. I think that's changing, and quite a few Lib Dems now feel that they should be a bit prouder about what they did. But, of course, quite a few Lib Dems think they should never have done it in the first place. <laughs> and they still haven't quite resolved that. And I think one of the interesting things is even Vince Cable, while discussing the longest resignation in history, is... Even he was saying that the Lib Dems, he'd never take the Lib Dems into a coalition again with Labour or the Tories as they currently stand. You just sort of think, well, what's the... If you're going to be in the game, you need to, to sound as if you want to be in power. Well, that's absolutely idiotic to say, if you have only 12 MPs, to say you, you would never join any other party in government is to say that you will never be in power. I just can't see how they could say that. And what have you made of the Vince Cable, whatever the opposite of a phenomenon is? <laughs> the, uh... It's the snooze button, I think. <laughs> he, he is a living embodiment of the snooze button. But it's sort of weird. 12 months ago when we were here as his first conference as leader and there seemed like there was a bit of a buzz and people felt they'd got a grown-up in charge and he could compete with Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn on the economy and none of that seems to have happened. Once again, they haven't moved in the polls we don't really know what all the point of it was. And now he's sort of saying, well, anyone can have a go if they want to. Well, it was possible to feel a little bit excited about Vince as leader then because he'd never been leader before and people suppose there might be hidden depths or uh, hidden reserves of passion that they hadn't seen before. But if, if there are depth, depths, we don't know about them and the passion has not emerged. It was the same with Ming Campbell when Ming Campbell became uh, the leader of the party. There was a bit of excitement about having somebody who was a dignified and statesman-like figure, and people thought that that might, uh, might might kind of float the electorate's boat, but quick disillusion there too. And that, that in fact, was here in Brighton thir uh, 11 years ago, I think, mm. was when 
there was lots of chatter about was Vin, was Ming Campbell too old and Nick Clegg was a sort of fresh-faced upstart who was told off by Elspeth Campbell to, to sort of rein his neck in a bit. But a few weeks later, Ming Campbell was gone. Yes. And yet uh, Vince Cable now is, I think, nine years older than Ming Campbell was then. That's incredible. And so, is that right? Yeah. Um, and so, and in fact, Vince Cable ruled himself out in 2007 because he thought he, he was too old. That's right. All the jokes were about him being too old. And so, uh, what do you think happens next? You were very rude about uh, Vince Cable in your column uh, in the Times on Saturday. Yes, I'm dreading bumping into him somewhere. <laughs> I, I come here by the back way. <laughs> and have you had any reaction from other Lib Dems? No. I, I think the Lib Dems see him as a stopgap. I don't think there would be many people amongst the Lib Dems now seeing him as an exciting new possibility. I don't know if there's much hostility towards his inactivity, but there will be a bit of impatience, I would have thought. Uh, certainly one or two Lib Dems I'm talking to are treating him just as a pause before the next leap forward. He is not the leap forward. No one thinks that. And the interesting thing is how... it. It feels quite flat. It's, a, it's, a, it's an adjective that people use almost every part of conference. But just as we before we come, came in here, I was chatting with a Lib Dem press officer who was trying to insist that there was a buzz. It was all very buzzy. It doesn't feel very buzzy. It doesn't feel like a party sort of attracting the young, disaffected Remain voters who are very cross about Brexit and want to embrace a centrist Liberal Party. It's so strange. Looking at it, as it were academically or scientifically, you would think this is the Lib Dems moment. This surely is the, the time when there's so much they could capitalise on. But you had a Lib Dem speaker, I was in the hall earlier today, you had a Lib Dem speaker say, we are not a centrist party, you know, we are a radical party, a party of change, don't call us centrists. And they were all clapping and, and cheering. Centrism is their only hope at the moment. <laughs> and what do you think is their hope? Where, where if, if you look back over thirty years and the ups and downs, and you, so who was who was leaving in 1988? Was that Paddy Ashdown, the first time that you came? Gosh, I can't even remember. I think it was. Yes, it was, yeah. And yes. then obviously, then yes. and then you went into the sort of Charles Kennedy era of you know, very good on the TV and popular and Iraq yeah. War and all of that. And then that was followed by. Uh, the Ming Campbell after Charles Kennedy's um, alcohol, drinking problems, states elder statesman, he was too old, Nick Clegg into government. They haven't really found their way. So what, what, where are they in that sort of twist and turns of the party? Well, I would say that, that their, um, their takeoff, if their takeoff is to occur, would be gradual. And one would see the party and see British politics at the moment as a state of affairs where the undergrowth is tinder dry and someone is just, someone is going to have to light the spark. And the way it would happen with the Lib Dems was be that there would be a by-election that looks like the possibility of a couple by, of by-elections um, fairly, fairly soon. There would be a by-election and the Lib Dems would do surprisingly well and people would start saying, oh, it was just a delayed reaction. And then there would be another by-election or some good local government by-elections and they would do well in those and and slowly you would you would get takeoff. I I can see that possibility. And do you think that's more likely to happen than a than a new party emerging? I just don't feel the appetite there for a new party at the moment. I, I don't know why not. Perhaps because those of us who know the old parties sense how difficult it would be, even for the most right wing Labour MPs, to join 
Conservative MPs and even for the most left-wing Conservative MPs to join Labour MPs. It, it, it really is tribal. What we're sort of waiting for is for both parties to become centrist again. We used to have a slightly centre-left Labour Party and a slightly centre-right Conservative Party and that's what people are missing. I don't think they're missing a, a new party in the middle. And just uh, sort of more broadly beyond the Lib Dems, what, what do you make of the the way that politics has panned out over the last 30 years since you since you were first doing those sketches and sketching Margaret Thatcher and Neil Kinnock? I suppose what strikes me most forcibly is that we couldn't possibly have predicted in 1988 what was going to happen. Who would have predicted when I wrote that slightly mocking sketch that the Lib Dems were going to be in a coalition government? Uh, who would have predicted uh, that uh, Blairism would rise so high or fall so hard as, uh, as it did I- I- in the end? All, all those things, I think, were beyond prediction. So all that does, I think, is impress upon us a, a proper sense of modesty when um, <laughs> we as columnists start, try to stare into the crystal ball and say what we think is going to happen. We haven't the least idea. And do you, do you, are you more reluctant to make predictions now or is that just still part of the job? Oh no, no, I mean, do, do gypsy fortune tellers get more reluctant to make predictions? No, the, the sound of the shilling in the tin uh, or whatever <laughs> is, a, is a, a, a great stimulus to, to the powers of prophecy. No, we, we keep doing it and, and, and uh, people keep being interested in what so-called experts say is going to happen although all the evidence is is that it never does is there a prediction that you've made that you either got spectacularly right or spectacularly wrong well i thought that theresa may was wrong to call uh, a general election although i didn't think she'd fall uh, so hard i did think that david cameron would win the 2015 general election got that right and i did not think that remain was going to lose the referendum campaign and so, given your because you your career from being uh, you were a civil servant and you worked for the Conservatives and then you were a Conservative MP and then became a journalist, which, which is the best of all those? Oh, you, you've forgotten my spectacular failure as a television presenter. Oh, of course, I can't <laughs> In between, I, yeah, how kind of I you to gloss <laughs> quickly over. I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> I led a program to its grave, <laughs> which was hugely successful up until that point. <laughs> yes. I think, um, which has been the best of those? Oh, oh, the the last. It just gets better and better. I loved being a sketch writer, but I did it for thirteen years. And at the the end of thirteen years, the the the, the grin on your sketch writing face begins to get a bit rictus like, <laughs> and it's time to move. And I I, I love being a columnist. I, I love writing for the Times. I've, I've I've never really seriously contemplated writing for any other paper. Paul Paul Dacre once once said that there would be um, a Range Rover at the end of my drive that weekend if I would agree to write for the Daily Mail. And the funny thing is, it did not occur to me to be to be tempted. I, I love writing and all what, the time. What was this Range Rover going to do? Take you away? No, it, no you? it was going to be mine. Oh, it was going to literally my a, range a free Rover. Range yes. Oh, right. That was just the opening bit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you never took it. No, no. There's well. a message to our editor here. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a Range Rover when you get home from the Lib Dem conference waiting in your drive. It'll be a very poor show. Um, as ever, you can read uh, Matthew in his main column in The Times on Saturday and also The Notebook on Tuesdays. As ever, massive thanks to Matthew Powers. In a moment, what happened when I went to see if anyone wanted to replace Vince Cable. But first, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes on your Android device. And now sign up as a Times subscriber to get Redbox. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash 
Redbox is as easy as that. And let us know what you think about the podcast. Email redbox at thetimes.co.uk or find us on Twitter or Facebook. Right. What happened then? If Vince Cable is not up to the job of being Lib Dem leader, does anyone want it? I went out onto the streets of Brighton to find out. Would you be interested in being Lib Dem leader? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, thanks. No. No. Uh, no, quite frankly. No, not really. Oh, no, thank you. Would you like to be Lib Dem leader? No, not at all. Um, no. Um, no. <laughs> um, yes. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.